So I think there's clearly a tremendous challenge facing our entire generation, and that is to decarbonise everything. And so anything we can do to develop a product or a service that is far better than everything else or anything that currently exists but accelerates decarbonisation, you know, is a driving focus. Hi, I'm Kaya Taylor, and this is Rewired, a show exploring the future of energy in Australia from ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Today on the show, we're talking about aviation. The aviation industry is one of the biggest challenges in our transition towards renewable energy. Currently, there isn't a great replacement for jet fuel that can offer airlines the range needed to make a transition. But with advancements in batteries and green hydrogen, that equation could change very quickly. In this episode of Rewired, we're speaking with Andrew Moore and Siobhan Linden, the founders of AMSL Aero, a company building electric VTOL aircraft that they're hoping could be in our skies within the next decade. Yeah, so AMSL Aero is developing a new transport system that aims to be as close to teleporting as possible, but within the limits of physics, and providing a transport system that is better than what currently exists, but is completely emissions-free. And if we do that in the right way, then we'll see the same disruption to you know, our carbon fuel-based transport system a similar disruption of what we've seen with smartphones over other forms of communication, we want to see and drive the same sort of change without requiring massive you know, government support and those sorts of things, but make transport and door-to-door transport faster, more efficient and much greener than what it currently is. Andrew and Siobhan come from different careers. For Siobhan, she worked as a lawyer before eventually finding herself at Google and headed up human resources there in the Sydney office when it was first starting out and was quick to move overseas and work throughout the US and and Northern Europe in roles with Google. So I was the, and I left there as the director of people operations for Asia Pacific um, and after a decade um, with Google and started a PhD where I was looking at the future of work and it was at that time that Andrew started the business Um, and had this incredible invention of this new aircraft. And I was helping him out, trying to support him in that venture and very quickly realised that this is an incredible opportunity and something I really want to help him with. And so suspended the PhD and went full-time and joining him and supporting him with this, um, yeah, building the aircraft and, and getting this business up and going. So it's been the last few years working solidly on that mission. Andrew, on the other hand, has been working on aircraft for many years. He trained as an aeronautical engineer and started his career working for the Defence Force. So I did an aeronautical engineering degree, started flying at 15, worked predominantly on helicopters with the Navy and spent actually quite a bit of time doing peacekeeping operations. So I was on a, a ship which was a a hospital ship, but it was also you know just a key key asset for Australia to help the Solomon Islands through a, a troubled period of its of its history, and helicopters were a big part of that. So after leaving the Navy, I joined a company that designed medical fit-outs. So that's the internal fit-out in an aircraft that makes them into an air ambulance, essentially. 
And so I did that for several years, um, joined uh, another company which was a you know a multinational called Raytheon, where I managed a fleet of helicopters and then worked on business development for a lot of their air traffic management products. I then left Raytheon and joined a company called Yamaha, where I was the chief engineer for the design and build of their five-seat helicopter, which was um, essentially their attempt at a at the version of a flying car, but in a very piston engine focused way. During that time, you know we looked very closely at what we saw was um, was coming next and um, and also looking for, for things that aligned better with my, my values and worked out that electric VTOL had the potential to be a, a revolution in transport but also an incredible opportunity to decarbonise transport in a way that we haven't thought about before. So in 2017, I'd started doing a PhD into electric propulsion for aircraft very quickly came upon the concept of what became Vitea and started designing Vitea. And um, here we are now, several years later, the business has, has grown substantially and, and our full-scale prototype is um, nearing its testing phase and we've been flying small-scale demonstrators now for, for several years. VTOL, or vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, have a lot more in common with drones or helicopters. AMSL Aero is developing a VTOL aircraft called Vertia that can be powered by electric batteries or hydrogen. It's one of those terms that doesn't roll off the tongue, and it's commonly you hear now in the aviation industry and is eVTOL, which is electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, and there's hundreds if you have a you know search the internet you'll find hundreds of designs and incredible renders of you know what looks like very futuristic flying cars and but there are probably a handful um, that are at that stage where they are highly credible real technologies that have been built you know at significant design phase and development and then are now in you know flight test phase and um and, you know, undergoing certification by the relevant regulatory authorities around the globe. So, you know, it will be incredible in about five years' time to see these aircraft. And just on the point of helicopters you mentioned before, the reason we don't have a prolific number of helicopters in the sky and everyone moving around from helipad to helipad is because two key reasons. It's the safety factor, because they are far less safe than an EV toll. The EV tolls will have levels of safety we will be certifying under that are comparable to the major airliners today, which is the safest form of transport, far safer than a motor vehicle. And so that straight away lifts the, you know, the attraction to using it when you know that you can keep your family safe when you're moving around. And the second really critical point is cost. Um, helicopters are highly expensive to operate, to maintain. There's just so many more components and you know, points of failure with it. So, you know, eVTOL brings this new generation of technology that will change. I, I hate to use the word revolutionise, um, but will, yeah, dramatically change the landscape for how you're all moving around today, you know, and it'll lift you from your, your motor vehicles to the skies and um, provide a much better experience and a far safer one as well. So Vitea has been developed to enable the carriage of people, cargo, or 
um, to be an air ambulance. So it's a vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. So that means it takes off and lands a bit like a helicopter. It has eight electric powered rotors that point vertically for takeoff and landing, and they rotate to horizontal, allowing it to fly the aircraft to fly on wings, um, which means it can be fast and efficient in cruise. So it's you know intended to be a little bit Jetsons-like in the sense that it would carry you know four or five people or be a small air ambulance that can carry you know a patient, a medic, and another crew member, and that might be a pilot or another medic, depending on on how it's used. And I, the reference point of the helicopter is helpful because you're talking about a vertical takeoff and landing, and and literally the first thing that came to mind was realizing that I guess airplanes don't really do that, do they? <laughs> they That's right. They go and they go on an angle. Absolutely. So they they need a long runway. And I'll weave a little bit of backstory in here too. So I, I actually grew up on a farm and where I grew up and the time I grew up, um, there were lots of aeroplanes around and everybody or lots of the farms around where I lived had ag strips. So um, so it would be common for planes to, um, to spread fertiliser using aeroplanes. And so all these farms had these ag strips. And so I'd see these planes flying around everywhere. We had an ag strip and dad would fly a plane and we would fly from our airstrip as well. Every time we drove anywhere, it took you know, hours and hours because there was gravel roads everywhere, um, but the plane was just so fast. So the problem with that, of course, is not everybody has an airport next to their house. And so helicopters are a vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, and that means they can land and take off from you know, roughly the size of a tennis court, our aircraft recognises that most people don't have a runway next to them, but they're probably not far away from something that could be the size of a tennis court if we, you know, truly want to fly really, really fast and change the way we travel. If you can get access to a, you know, a heliport-sized space and you can board an electric emissions-free VTOL aircraft, then the chances are that you will have the ability to access this type of of new transport system. And just to clarify, so you mentioned, I guess, moving family. Is the the vision for this to be something that householders, regular kind of everyday people can use, or will it still be something that an Uber kind of scenario where 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 you're kind of catching a flight with someone else, so to speak, with somebody else driving? Who is the the ultimate user of an EV toll? Well, I think it's everyone. And the reason I say that is because when you look at the the safety and the speed and then the cost, the cost, um, we have done a lot of analysis on this, but our aircraft provides passengers with the ability to travel up to 1,000 kilometres nonstop at a speed of 300 kilometres per hour, which will increase over time, at a cost that is comparable per kilometre, it will be to a ground taxi or ground Uber. So that's the long-term game and we feel that's a very credible path. So when you look at that, it's going to give access to everyone. And when I say everyone, people in countries where they currently don't have the infrastructure that we do say have in Australia or in areas where, you know, it's hard to get across, like with mountainous or waterways or archipelagos and so forth, that this is where it will just bridge that straight away. You can just go from like a helipad size, we're calling them, they're calling them vertiports, to vertiports 
and we can land on grass, for instance, and, and dirt. So it's going to give immediate access to to countries and people who currently don't have good transport. And um, here in Australia, regional Australia will, will benefit, I think, in the short to medium term, very much so from this kind of transport, because where cars are probably the only option for some of those communities right now to get around, you know, this will provide them with a very fast, far safer and low cost form of transport. It's amazing to think for a moment that in regional Australia, especially, we could have EV tolls connecting communities before we have trains or buses. They wouldn't even need a need for it. Um, That's amazing. So I'm keen to dig in a little bit about the electrification element of it. So obviously you've already specified that it's an EV toll, so it's electric, but can you talk us through the decision to, you know, to, to use electricity? Was it always something that was front of mind when you began designing or was it a part of the design process? Love to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, so a core part of how this technology is enabled, I guess, is the electrification. And so uh, several years ago, NASA started doing some work on what's known as distributed electric propulsion. And essentially what it comes back to is a helicopter looks the way it looks because that's what works with an internal combustion engine. Whereas electrification of aviation allows you to build aircraft in a different way. And one of the key differences it allows is lots of small motors with smaller rotors than what you see in a helicopter. And so that combined with the reliability and the safety that you get with electric motors and with the response rate means that you can design a very different aircraft. So yes, electrification is is key to it. Now, the disadvantage of electrification is, well, how do you store energy? And so you have options of battery or you have options of some sort of range-extending technology like hydrogen fuel cells, or to an extent you could, if you're so inclined, do something with an internal combustion engine. So clearly we're focused on zero emissions, and so, so we're building both a battery aircraft and a hydrogen fuel cell aircraft. Hydrogen, though, enables a 1,000 kilometre range for roughly the same mass of a battery, which would give you about 250 kilometre range. Oh, wow. That's quite a difference. Um, look, it, it is, and it's, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. And the eVTOL aircraft, funnily enough, actually take more advantage or take better advantage of the nuances of electric um, propulsion systems better than other forms of aviation. And it's because electric motors allow you to run at very, very high powers for very short periods of time, which is different to internal combustion engines. And so that means that you can really closely match the power profile of your flight if you design your aircraft the right way. It means we can, for a a VTOL aircraft, you take off using high power. Our type of aircraft, which there's, there's multiple different types of aircraft in development, but our type of aircraft then uses a lot less power whilst we cruise and then a large amount of power prior to landing. And over, a let's say, a 1,000-kilometre flight, you you might be using high power for less than a minute but using a much lower power for the rest of the flight, which allows you to go quite a long way without using a lot of energy. 
Vertia will come in both a battery and fuel cell version. The battery version is able to travel 250 kilometers, and the fuel cell version is able to travel more than 800. So far, from what we've seen, there was maybe one customer that might have been interested in battery only, but I think the advantages that hydrogen provide, we think ultimately will be the choice that everybody makes. And so we know that the hydrogen will have a lower operating cost. We know that the hydrogen enables the long range and therefore enables the the better productivity. So I think the combination of those things, I mean, we think hydrogen wins ultimately. One of the challenges with battery aircraft is this type of aircraft is really pushing batteries to the limit. And so that means you need to replace your batteries far more regularly than you would ever see in any other application. And so um, so there's a, a cost both financially and environmentally for having to change your batteries at least once a year. And we know that some of the um, other aircraft, eVTOL aircraft in development, are looking to replace their batteries four times a year. And so the great thing about hydrogen is you don't need to do that and the fuel cell will last the life of the aircraft. I guess I have a lot of questions about the product, like the research and the prototyping and the manufacturing. Can you talk us through what it's looked like? So the research phase, you mentioned before that you've start, you're starting to prototype. Is that correct? You've, you've done some, some um, small flights. Is that right? So we, we've had small-scale proof-of-concept aircraft that have been flying since 2017, but we have a full-size prototype that starts its flight test program next year. And so for context, that full size is about a little bit over six metres wide, about six metres long. It will be able to carry the test pilot, and it's not intended to be you know, quite passenger carrying yet as it's a, a test vehicle, but the cabin size on the next one will be able to carry you know, five people comfortably. And where has it been? Where has this prototype been made? Is it locally at a at a site somewhere in New South Wales, or is it done overseas? So it's built here in Sydney, and so we have suppliers and partners who are spread around the world. But we have some suppliers who are making the carbon fibre parts um, in Sydney and in regional New South Wales. Um, we have motors that come from um, Slovenia. We have. Um, electronic speed controllers that come from Sydney, and we have flight control systems coming from um, Victoria. So there's a wide range of components that come together. It's our design. We designed the structure. We designed the power distribution system, but we're integrating other companies' componentry to you know to reduce the the developmental cost and developmental burden. And do you see these, you know, the continuation of manufacturing to happen in Australia, pulling the parts, as you've said, from all different spots? Do you think the opportunity is to be able to continue building these locally? Oh, absolutely. So Australia is a, a great place for aerospace manufacturing and it suits our workforce. You know, it's that, that high-end manufacturing. So it suits Australia's um, manufacturing industry perfectly. So... If we look at, for example, across the other side of the airfield, we're based at Bankstown Airport, there still exists, you know, a major composite manufacturing company. And so that particular company made some parts for us. We go to another part of Sydney and there's companies who specialise in, you know, high volume automated carbon fibre manufacturing. And so 
you know, we go to another part of, I guess, the, the local ecosystem and we have companies who cut their teeth on solar, um, the, the solar challenge race cars. And so the power electronics that they developed for that, of course, work exceptionally well at what we're doing. And so, so yeah, we, we do fit really well within Australia's manufacturing niche. AMSL Aero are not the only ones working on projects to electrify the aviation industry. There are a bunch of startups across Europe and the US who are working on similar projects. However, what makes AMSL Aero unique is the use of hydrogen to enable longer ranges. And that extra range could make AMSL's aircraft perfect for use in regional Australia. We found looking at it here in Australia, the distances are so much further and we actually have a really large air ambulance market and that particular market prefers aircraft that can fly further than 250 kilometres and so quite early in the piece we looked at what we can do there. The other thing that's quite interesting is Australia has the second or in 2019 it did at least, um, the second largest pair of uh, like domestic air routes so that is the number of people travelling between Sydney and Melbourne was the second largest route in the world. So the largest was actually Seoul to Jeju and number two was Sydney to Melbourne. And that is because of a combination of uh, the distance between the cities, um, the fact that it's just too far for a high-speed rail network and we've never made one as a consequence of that and a number of other attributes and the fact that there's only one, essentially one major airport in each city. And Sydney's the one in particular which which constrains things because of the single major airport. So all of those things mean that that it's quite a dense route. There's a lot of people who move between those two. And Sydney to Brisbane is similar. And they, if you sometimes hear them talk in the airline business about the Golden Triangle, which is Sydney, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. And it's you know it's, it is a huge market, and in a global and it's a globally significant market. Now it just so happens that Sydney to Melbourne is 750 kilometres, and Sydney to Brisbane is almost the same. And so it's no accident that the 1,000-kilometre range comfortably enables us to fly Sydney to Melbourne or Sydney to Brisbane um, without refuelling. So it was an early design target for us. Developing aircraft is usually a long game. They take many years to design, prototype, test and build. That's before you pass any regulatory hurdles to get the aircraft in the sky. After all, they are often travelling at great speeds and carry groups of people, so you want to know that they aren't going to have problems. So when might you be able to fly in Vertia? We're talking of this being a reality within the next five to ten years, and it's actually even much sooner than that, in that we're targeting you know, certification of our aircraft within the next few years. And that means once we're certified, and when I say certification, um, what that means is this gives, you know, the public the comfort they need to know that these developers are meeting the safety standards required in the build and the development of their aircraft. And there's one thing about, you know, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority in Australia has a strong record in this area. And um, by certifying our aircraft under their regulation, it means that we can then commercially sell these aircraft to operators um, throughout Australia and and then in countries that also recognise CASA's regulations, which is far and wide across the world. 
Uh, so, you know, we see that happening within the next few years. So this is something that I think aeromedical operators will be the early markets for us um, and those that are currently operating helicopters, so operators like the smaller operators and even the mid-tier operators that are doing, dare I say, tourist routes <laughs> that will be increasing over time. And passenger services today, they will be the early adopters of this technology and the buyers. But yeah, as for you flying from Melbourne to Sydney or, um, you know, it's something that is, you know, it could be as early as five years away, I think, um, and, and that can be very realistic. There's still a lot of work and testing to do before we might see Vatia flying around our skies. And when it happens, Andrew says you'll likely need a special license to be able to fly one. The first people to fly these aircraft will probably be existing pilots. But over time, it will become an easier process. It's all part of a future that could see many of us ditching our cars and owning an aircraft. It certainly uses less energy than the alternatives, so it will cost less than the alternatives. Um, will be as safe as anything and safer than driving a car, definitely. So there's still more work to go in those longer range flights, but it will take the pressure off and enable a fast way to decarbonise. And there's one last bit, and that is that large aeroplanes take a long time to design and certify. We typically see, you know, the replacement for the 737, for example, is going to take 10 to 15 years to design. Smaller aeroplanes can be certified and designed much, much faster. And so the design cycle time on these will be much quicker. So, for example, light aeroplanes have been certified as quickly as 18 months in the past. So as companies like us, become more mature and, and iterate, then we'll be able to refine and improve our designs much, much faster than what you see in large commercial airliners. So that means that you'll see a similar technology race happening to what you see on smartphones and computers where every year there's something better coming out. And so today we'll say up to a 1,000 kilometres, maybe in five years' time we're talking about you know Sydney to Perth. Today, we're talking about 300 kilometres an hour. Um, in five years' time, I think we'll be talking about 700 kilometres an hour. And so all of those little pieces of the puzzle mean that little fast aeroplanes that personalise your trip but still you know, land within walking distance of your home um, will really change the way that we see air transport. This is obviously, it's a long game, but it, admittedly it's not as long as I first thought in terms of um, how quickly this is all going to perhaps, you know, to become a reality. But I'd love to know just quickly from you both, what, what, what's the inspiration here? What pushes you to keep going? Oh, so I think there's clearly a tremendous challenge facing our entire generation, that is to decarbonise everything. And so anything we can do to develop a product or a service that is far better than everything else or anything that currently exists but accelerates decarbonisation, you know, is a driving focus certainly for me and I, I think for Siobhan and for, for most of our team. It's a, something that just needs to be done and so it keeps me continuously moving and, and, um, and pushing as, as far as we can, as quickly as we can. I fully agree. I think particularly as you get older... <laughs> And we are, we are at the middle of our lives, Andrew and I. You realise even more so how incredibly important it is to, to do something great 
um, if you can, and, and our little piece, if we can, is to develop a technology that will help, you know, improve the health of this planet. And that sounds, I know, worldly in that, but I think, yeah, if everyone could do their little bit, we'll get there. Thanks to Andrew and Siobhan for joining us for this episode. Rewired is brought to you by ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, working to support Australia's energy transition. This episode was hosted by me, Kaya Taylor, with production and scripting from the team at Lawson Media. If you've enjoyed the conversation and want to learn more about the Transformers working to change our energy grid or the projects that ARENA is funding, you can find out more on our website, arena.gov.au. I'll speak to you again soon.